I, I think if you stick to a dream and you just keep at it and keep trying to piece together the puzzle of what you think it will take to make those things happen, eventually it will. I'm only halfway on my journey. I, I still don't feel like I'm doing what I wanted to do at the fullest level, and maybe I never will, but you just got to keep at it. While still a young child, reigning his island fiefdom near his parents' lake house in central Minnesota, Matt Little's life ambition was to be head of the EPA. He set off to get the right education and experiences to get the job and was on track as an environmental policy wonk in D.C. Find out how continuing to make the impact that fills your soul sometimes requires a change in environment on today's Roads Taken with me, Leslie Jennings Rowley. I'm here today with Matt Little, and we are going to talk about the great outdoors and finding one's way, always kind of knowing what's really important. So we start all of these with the same two questions, and they are, when we were in college, who were you? And as we were getting ready to leave it, who did you think you would become? (laughs) Well, I came into Dartmouth thinking I was going to save the world and be a conservationist and end up in D.C. and make a big difference. I came in kind of cocky, thinking I was pretty cool. But there are a lot of cool people at Dartmouth, so they kind of shook my ego up a little. And uh, I did leave Dartmouth pretty much the same way. I was on that path, and I've tried to pursue it pretty much all my life. Yeah. And ironically, Matt, you won't remember this, but the last time I actually saw you in the flesh, you pulled your car up to the gasoline pump opposite mine in San Francisco. And it was like, what? You're okay. Um, And that was like this fleeting thing. It's a few years after graduation. And, and, and now it's like, you know, how funny that our, our lives were last entwined under fossil fuels. But anyway, um, Uh, so, so you did, you know, you did a lot of different things that kind of put you on the path to get where you wanted. And there you were in DC. So let's like pop to that point in your life. And why were you there? How was, how did it work? And then what was, what was happening in the world at that time to get you out of there? Yeah. So after Dartmouth, I still wanted to save the world and I had a biology degree, an environmental biology degree. And I thought, okay, what else do I need to have the credibility or the degrees to do what I need to do? And so I ended up at Syracuse at the Maxwell School of Public Affairs and I got an MPA, a Master of Public Administration, which only took me, it's a 13 month program. It's really awesome. And I ended up applying for a fellows program that Jimmy Carter started called Presidential Management Interns. Now it's called Fellows. And if you get selected for that, then agencies, federal agencies, kind of have a job fair and you can check out different opportunities to join them. And it's a way to jump up through the management ranks and become kind of a senior official fairly quickly. And so that that was my goal. I wanted to be head of EPA when I was a little kid. And so I ended up, EPA wasn't actually at the job fair. So I went and went around the system and went to the head of the wetlands division because I was a waterfall wetlands nut. If you remember me, Dartmouth, I was 
head of the Bait and Bullet Club, the oldest fishing and hunting club, college club in the nation. Oh, did not um, know. We weren't that cool, but um, <laughs> I really liked wetlands and waterfall. And so I wanted to work on that conservation work. And I ended up writing a letter to the head of EPA wetlands. And I said, hey, this is a program that you could join. And they took me up on it. And that was my first job. And so I ended up working in the wetlands division. And in that program, they do jump you up each year by a grade. You start out at GS9, I believe. And then oh. you're, I was a GS12 after the second year. Um, those are just like pay grades, management yeah. grades. And in it, you can do these ro things called rotations. So normally you go to another agency and kind of learn how a different operation works. But I convinced my boss in the first year to send me to Switzerland. <laughs> and I, I ended up going to work on the Ramsar Treaty on wetlands, the first ever uh, U.S. rep. I'm just a kid, you know, right. working in Switzerland on this treaty. It was so cool. And I couldn't speak a lick of French. I was on Lake Geneva in a town named Glan, spelled Gland, Gland. Okay. And I had the time of my life. And every weekend just traveled to different European uh. towns. So I had a great experience. And then the second rotation I did, I convinced my boss to send me to one of the senator's offices. And I got to pick Senator Moynihan, Daniel Patrick Moynihan of New York, because he was, I just thought he was awesome and he needed a science fellow. And so I became that science fellow. And soon after that, the lead policy person who handled conservation issues and, and science and stuff, she left and he took me on. So all of a sudden I'm landed in a very senior senator's office working on a really cool topic. And he was the most senior member of the environment committee. So. Wow. Yeah. So you didn't grow up in New York. No, but I went to my master's there and that was my connection with Moynihan. I, I grew up in Minnesota. Um, right. Right. I yeah. Kind of, Growing up hunting, fishing, and going to church, and good Minnesota kind of stuff. And that was, so, you know, want, growing up and wanting to be EPA head, that's not every little boy's dream. So was it because of that kind of bucolic Minnesota thing, or was there something different or something specific? Well, I do remember distinctly when I wanted to do this. My parents had a cabin in central Minnesota, kind of in farm country. It was on this lake. And at a really early age, my parents trusted me. This is kind of dumb. I should probably just have done this. They, they let me take the canoe out when I was like eight years old, out to this little island in the middle of the lake. And I was on the swim team and stuff, so they thought it was safe. But so, yeah, I take it out there and I just explore and, and um, go out with my BB gun and collect frogs and fish and, and do all this stuff. And it was my little fiefdom and I just love that place. And so that really connected me with nature and really early then I decided I'm going to work on protecting areas like this. And I remember thinking when I was like 10 years old, what do I have to do in high school to get into the right college, to get the right degree, to help make, this happen. And so that was kind of my whole trajectory. And my parents helped me. They really pushed me to do a lot of things to become the Dartmouth well-rounded people that we all are. 
but I was constantly thinking, what exactly do I have to do to get to where I want to be? That's cool. And then there you were. So Moynihan, top environmental position, really, on the legislative side, learning tons, contributing tons. And this was around 2000, right? Mm-hmm. 2001? Yeah? Yeah, yeah. He... He retired shortly after the turn of the century and passed away, unfortunately, a couple years after that. But he was the most senior member of the Environment and Public Works Committee. And that's where all the laws get passed and a lot of deals on money at the federal level. And he used to be kind of a fiery senator, just super involved. But when I came on, he was taking kind of a back seat even though he was the most senior member, he wouldn't show up to committee meetings. So he would actually, I would sign my own proxy letter in the green ink that he loved to sign that said, you know, please vote according to my proxy, Matt Little. And again, I'm like 25 or seven or something like that. And um, I'm sitting in these rooms voting like a senator. And this does happen with a lot of other Senate staff, but I was particularly lucky lucky because he was just totally hands off and I would get to make decisions and send around letters. And I even wrote some legislation that he didn't know about and tell and dropped it and introduce it with co-sponsors. And I would kind of tell him and my boss, um, my legislative director, after I would do these things and I would get these great notes back. Good job, Matt. And so I just keep going and I got to do some insanely cool things as a kid. And I always had his support and uh, I've never had a position like that again. It's just, I, the experience I had on Capitol Hill is just so great learning how things actually work and that kids run everything, (laughs) the Supreme court, uh, the Hill, the executive branch, it's, It's crazy how young folks really, with the energy and drive, they really run stuff because the people that are elected are kind of older and more tired. Not everyone, at least mine was. And there's just opportunities for young people to have such an impact on Capitol Hill. So I would encourage anybody, if they can go to the Capitol Hill and do an internship, you can easily move your way up and, and have huge amounts of impact at the national level. And I just love that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And I think people become tired because there is such like intense need and intense work and intense impact that you get. And that's that can just burn out one's soul, particularly when you have um, planes crashing into buildings. So talk to me about 2001. Yeah. So I was after Moynihan, I was actually asked by Hillary Clinton to take her spot. Uh, to take the same spot I had in her office because she took over his seat. And I decided not to do that. I wanted to try something else. So I ended up working for a bipartisan coalition. We were kind of quasi-staff, quasi-lobbyists, working for both Republicans and Democrats in the Northeast Midwest. It was called the Northeast Midwest Institute. That office was next to the Capitol, And when 9-11 happened, I was driving to work and just heard about some kind of crash of a plane. It sounded like a small plane into a building in New York. 
and I it, the story just seemed like there's something more to it. So like when I arrived at the office, I said, "Hey, everyone, we should turn on the TV," and we did, and that's when we saw saw it. But it, more than the impact it had on us from just seeing that then a news crew is by the white house and they had this interesting camera angle of the smoke coming off the pentagon but it was behind the white house so you it looked like the white house from the camera angle was hit hmm. and the the reporter the local reporter was saying we don't know what's happening we don't know what's hit we don't know where who's crashing into what and everyone in the office just ran just left. And I sat there because I was an idiot kid who had this deal with his girlfriend who worked in the Capitol for a member of Congress. And I told her, if there's any ever any problem, you come to my office and then we would figure out what to do. So I sat there like an idiot for hours thinking that a plane was crash going to crash into the Capitol or into my building, just waiting for my girlfriend and uh, she she was way smarter than I was, and she had left long time ago to walk home. <laughs> and I sat there all afternoon just freaking out. And so, like, I think because I was trying to be this tough, I don't know, person to save my girlfriend, I freaked myself out beyond freakitude, and um, that uh, that just impacted me for a long time. And it, it, to top that off, my girlfriend worked in Dashiell's office that opened the anthrax letter. <laughs> And so she was exposed and had to take Cipro, a strong antibiotic, and I was tested as well. So, like, we were always worried what was going to happen on the metro station coming to work and stuff. And all that kind of added up. And after a year or so, I decided I was going to leave and I wanted to do something else. And I was a nature guy. So I was like, I would love to work in a national park. So Moynihan was friends with Senator Wyden. Uh, in Oregon and, and heads of parks and stuff go to DC to ask for money and stuff. And so he hooked me up or the staff hooked me up with uh, Chuck Lundy, the, the superintendent at Crater Lake National Park, because that was kind of a dream park of mine just looks so gorgeous that lake. And I told him, I want to get out of DC. I would love to be a park ranger. You don't have to pay me. What do you think? And he's like, that's the best deal I've ever heard. You're, I, you got it. And so he set me up with a housing and 10 bucks a day under some volunteer program. And I was his special assistant and I got to do anything I wanted in the park. It was the coolest thing ever. I didn't make any money. And then it started a year of my life where I was kind of searching for myself and figuring out what to do next. So after it snowed too much at Crater Lake, I became a bartender in Texas for spring break, South Park okay. Island. And then after that, I became a teacher in Portland at an outdoor school. And after I made zero money for too long, I decided to get back into real, real work and ended up working for conservation groups. And that's, that's where I am right now. I've worked with a number of conservation groups and been the executive director of one more recently. And yeah, so I'm in the nonprofit world now. Yeah. Back to making impact. Back to anything I can do to have the most impact on the environment. And actually right now, community. I, I, I switched from a group I was executive director of called Cascade Forest Conservancy to a group called Social Venture Partners, which is 
basically philanthropists who get their hands dirty, who not only give money, but directly get involved with uh, groups in their community, the nonprofit causes. And for me, I'm working for SVP Portland, and we're focused on making sure that every kid, every kid age three to five gets a preschool education, no matter their zip code background. And so I, I love social causes as well. And so I'm trying to use my skills in different ways with various nonprofits and, um, yeah, so trying to make a difference. Also tried to run for county council most recently <laughs> to try to make a difference, and I lost as an independent. But, uh, yeah, just always looking for ways to help. Yeah, and our listeners can't see what I can see, but I can see beautiful trees behind you and a flannel shirt. And I feel like you found a way to incorporate the love you have for the environment more than you could have in D.C. So um, what's life like right now? Yeah, that was my maybe the biggest surprise of where I ended up geographically because I thought I'd be a D.C. wonk the rest of my life. And, you know, I might still go back, but the Pacific Northwest is so beautiful and such a perfect place for an outdoors person. And I luckily live on five acres with my kids. We have a beaver pond out back. We saw a bear a couple months ago. And last year we had a cougar on the other side of the creek. We've got chickens and an orchard. It's, it's really, we're just incredibly privileged. And I hunt and fish like crazy. So there's elk and salmon and deer and ducks. And oh, it's just an incredible place for me to do what I love and also to raise my kids and teach them what's important. I do miss DC, but I really want my kids to grow up out here. And then maybe, maybe when they're in high school, maybe we could go back. Cause I met my wife in DC. She also worked for national wildlife Federation when I did. And we both love uh, DC. Um, but we just kind of think it's a tough place to raise a family especially if you're into policy, but maybe I'm wrong. It's been, you know, I've made that decision a long time ago and I have a lot of friends out there that have great families. And so I, th I think you could, you could pull it off and yeah. 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 So when you think back to either the mat in college or the mat on that little Island on the lake, what about this whole trajectory to where you are right now? Could you have foreseen and what, what surprises might those earlier mats see now in what you've done? Well, I, I think if you stick to a dream and you just keep at it and keep trying to piece together the puzzle of what you think it will take to make those things happen, eventually it will. I'm only halfway on my journey. I, I still don't feel like I'm doing what I wanted to do at the fullest level, and maybe I never will. But you just got to keep at it. And that might be one of the surprises as well. I kind of thought I was going to be head of EPA and then maybe I'd even go higher after that or be a congressperson. You know, maybe I will. But that was one of the surprises. Another surprise, and I'm sure this isn't any different for other Dartmouth folk, is I thought I was kind of the center of the world in, at Dartmouth <laughs> and high school. I was really cocky. And, I, I, you know, the world, everything was about me. Into my 20s on Capitol Hill, I thought I was pretty hot shot. But then I think after getting married and then having kids, my whole focus of everything was different. So I still wanted to save the world, but it, instead of like being a superhero and doing it single-handedly, 
I realize everything requires teams. And so like my mission right now is to teach and mentor others so that they can have an impact. Cause there's no way I could pull this off alone unless I made it to president, you know, like, and that's not going to happen. So you really need a team. So I, I believe strongly in bringing up, uh, helping other people grow into becoming leaders. And my last four or five jobs have been really focused on that. And I try to do that in everything I do. There's so much to get done in this world. And we're constantly kind of falling behind on conservation and social justice and everything. And we just need a reawakening. I'm kind of a moderate, independent thinker. And I don't fall really far left or, or right. I really try to think in the middle. And I think that's where a lot of the things are going to get done. If that's any advice, I'd try not to have anyone sit in a camp way left and right and just sit there and and and, and brood about things. I try to get into the middle and, and find solutions and try to find mentors in your life who can bring you to the places that you want to be. So that, I guess that's my only advice. Yeah. Well, it sounds like advice that you've, it's well earned because you've taken it, but I think you're also becoming a great mentor to others, your family and, and those that you're trying to help in communities. So thanks so much for that service and for keeping your dream alive. I, I love to hear that you're only in the middle of the journey because um, what great things are left to come. It's all very exciting. So thanks for sharing that story. Thanks for doing this. I mean, sharing these stories is really important. So taking that on yourself, that is super cool. So keep at it. That was Matt Little, conservationist, environmental policy wonk, and currently the director of investor partnerships at Social Venture Partners Portland. He lives in Washington State with his wife and their two daughters, whom he tries to get into the great outdoors as much as possible. Speaking with Matt made me inspired to get out into nature more, too. If you find these stories inspiring in some way, please consider not only subscribing to the show on Apple Podcasts or another platform, but also sharing the podcast with other people who you think might enjoy it. Have them look out for me, Leslie Jennings Rowley, and other friends at roadstakenshow.com or on the next episodes of Roads Taken. Roads Taken.